Sheffield Celebration Choir to start us off this morning with To God Be the Glory, Great Things He Has Done.
Nadifa Mohamed is a poet and novelist. Nadifa left Somaliland when civil war broke out and was only four when she came to Britain in 1985. She talks to Michael Barclay about her dramatic family history. I said at the beginning how you came from Somalia at the age of four. Mm. Um, and I wonder whether you remember much about that extraordinary experience, fleeing civil war and coming to such a different country, such a different way of life. I do. I remember a lot. And when I returned in 2008, I accidentally found myself in our old neighbourhood, very close to our family house, and no one told me where I was, but I could just feel this recognition and it was to do with the spatial kind of layout of everything, the light, the sand, the quality of the sand in the street. Everything was smaller than I remembered, but everything just fitted completely back in place. And yet the, the city had been reduced to rubble, hasn't it? It really had. It really had. I, someone described it as looking like Hiroshima after the government had finished its bombardment. I arrived a good 15 years, I think, after the war had ended, and things had been rebuilt very quickly. And it's, it's kind of strange because despite a few monuments in the city, there's very little remembrance of the war. And my family street is one of the oldest streets. Hadgate is not a very old city at all. It's about 100 years old, maybe just over 100 years old. And our street was probably built in the 50s, I think. And somehow it looked the same while most of the city was flattened and completely rebuilt in this quite jazzy, modern Dubai style with lots of shiny cladding on, on buildings. But our, our family neighbourhood is low level, lots of bougainvillea, white painted buildings... My mum planted a tree. The tree was still there when I visited, but much, you know, very well grown in that time. So I think as a writer, you depend on these submerged memories. That's what you access a lot. And they're half, half memories. Well, your next music is very much about parting from those we love. It's Purcell's Dido and Aeneas, an opera I know you listen to a lot. Yes, and strangely, I, I studied Latin GCSE um, when I was about 18 or 17 to um, make up time, really, because the college I was going to needed me to make up um, the hours for the courses I was doing. So I picked Latin GCSE, and that's where I was introduced to the story of Dido and Aeneas. And it was one that instantly clicked with me for some reason. And when I was working on The Fortune Men, which is about the miscarriage of justice that Mahmoud Matan faced, a Somali sailor who lived in Cardiff, who my father knew and my father told me about him. And he was executed for a murder he didn't commit. And the story of him and his Welsh wife, Laura, is very Dido and Aeneas. You have, of course, chosen Dido's famous lament, but in quite a free new arrangement by Christina Pluha. What drew you to this new look, this refreshing aspect of the piece? I love Christine Pluha, and I think it's because she's constantly playful. Yeah, it's this kind of anarchic, I think there's an anarchic energy that I like about Pluha and um, the people that she works with. And I think probably in the early days, opera was like that. And it became something more conservative. And I'd prefer to go back to those anarchic roots.
Andueza performing Dido's Lament from Purcell's opera Dido and Aeneas in an arrangement by Christina Pluha, uh, who we heard conducting her ensemble La Peggiata. Actually, I was thinking as we were listening to that, Nadifa, that mm-hmm. you, you simply can't uh, keep a good tune down, can you? And it does <laughs> use also uh, what we always call of, the, you know, the talk about the blue note, the yes. flattened third, which is in all uh, uh, so much jazz and so much blues. Yes, yes. And I think the way that that, that note signifies grief... Mm is something that just cuts across whatever your taste in music is. It's, some, it's, it's close to the heartbeat. Which twists you when you listen to it, doesn't yes, it? Yes, and it pulls you in, I think. It drags you in. And we'll come back to Nadifa Mohammed in a few minutes. Meanwhile, we'll keep an African tinge as the African children's choir sing Amazing Grace. <laughs>
the second verse there sung in an African language, I'm afraid I don't know which one, but that was Amazing Grace, and it uh, was sung by the African Children Choir. Now it's back to Michael Barclay and Nadifa Mohammed. Growing up in London, Nadifa Mohammed, you've lived on a couple of different council estates, mm-hmm. and you've written about that, uh, a defence of council estates as a great place to live. Yes, it's so difficult because council estates are so varied and the one I grew up was very leafy, very safe, quiet. This kind of representation that you normally see of these big uh, sort of hulking blocks where there's lots of crime and drugs and, you know, the people's interest in them is is as a place of fear and as a place of threat. It's not one that I recognise. So I was saying, you know, somewhere like Grenfell, um, Grenfell Tower was a community of people of all sorts of different backgrounds, professional, um, creative, family people, recent immigrants. And that's my recognition of what most blocks are like and most estates are like. In my my last flat, a few years ago, there were two opera singers next door um, and they would practice and teach. So I would have their voices in my room and I was writing The Orchard of Lost Souls of these two big bass voices shaking, <laughs> shaking the walls in a really incredible way. And Do you listen to music when you're writing? I do always. I have to, mm. otherwise I can't write. Really? But I can't, yeah. yes, and I can't, I can't listen to music when I'm editing because that's using a different part of my brain. Mm. But with the um, first writing, when I'm creating something from nothing, then I have to have music on. And it's often the same people or the same albums again and again, so it almost becomes white noise. Is this next music, Pergolese's Starbuck Martyr, uh, one that you listen to when you're writing? No, this is one I listen to at night, kind of secretly by myself. Um, I guess it, it allows my sinews to relax, so I have a different kind of soundtrack for the late evening when I'm going to sleep. I've always listened to sacred music, whether that's Christian, Muslim, uh, Hebrew, uh, Jewish. So I think that there's... Maybe that's the original opera, Is are, are these songs <laughs> to your God... That that bring out all of your emotion, your hopelessness, your your despair, your your hope, your need for salvation, your need for understanding. Well, here it is: music from the Pergolesi Starbuck Martyr.
Christopher Lowry and Sandrine Piau with the opening of Pergolese's Starbat Mater. Christophe Rousset was conducting Les Talons Lyriques. Grant with thy word is a lamp unto my feet. Steph McLeod and the Celtic worship band sing I stand amazed in the presence of Jesus the Nazarene. Of Jesus. 
Jesus the Nazarene And wonder how he could love me A sinner condemned
has written a series of meditations based on the Psalms. Today we hear Malcolm's thoughts on Psalm 5. It's followed by Tchaikovsky's Cherubic Hymn, sung by the Latvian Radio Choir. Verba mea auribus, a response to Psalm 5. Safe in the love of one who never part, of one whose kindness is itself a shield, who understands the deep things of my heart better than I can ever do. I yield myself and my perplexities to him, and in his house of mercy I am healed. Healed of this world's bloodthirstiness, its grim deceptions, all its weary wickedness. The death speak of its tyrants as they hymn the idols of their vanity, the emptiness of anxious purchases, all washed away, until my sight is cleansed. His righteousness makes my way plain and leads me through the play of early morning light to worship him whose mercy wakes me at the break of day.
Adrian Plass has written a book called The Unlocking, published by the Bible Reading Fellowship. They have given us permission to broadcast his recordings, and we hear one of them now. Role play. You are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. I'm so glad that Paul included the bit about there being neither male nor female in Christ Jesus. I fear that I personally failed to fulfill some traditional expectations of the male. No, no lurid revelations. I'm afraid I'm just talking about home maintenance. I can change a plug and waft a paintbrush about, but that's it. And tackling any new job involving a visit to our local DIY shop for tools or materials does bad things to my confidence. As I enter timidly, the proprietor, a square, rather cross-looking man, with the sleeves of his check shirt rolled up, is always, always carrying a wooden barrel full of long canes from one side of the shop to the other. He puts his burden down and clicks his tongue, annoyed because he was well into the rhythm of carrying his barrel to and fro across the shop. Now I've spoiled it. Yes. I name the tool I need, trying to look like the sort of person who has competently worn one out and now needs another. Thank goodness I know exactly what I want. He sniffs. Plain or calibrated? What's that? Plain or what? I don't know. Oh, help, I don't know. Sound as if you do know. Um, uh, better be plain, I think. Plain. Right. He shifts 17 heavy boxes away from the base of a wall unit, then fetches a stepladder from outside. The tool I need seems to be at the very back of the very highest shelf. All the things I buy are kept there. He climbs the ladder. Balancing on one foot, he jams his head between the ceiling and the top of the unit, contorting his face and grunting painfully as he locates the tool at the farthest extension of his reach. He ends up all sweaty and dusty and swears when he knocks a paper packet of tacks all over the floor on his way down. Sighing and puffing, he takes the stepladder back, replaces the 17 heavy boxes, clears up the tacks, then turns to me. I'm about to take my purchase when he speaks. Upstairs job, then, is it? It's not. Oh, heavens, it's not. Shall I just take the plain one and pretend it's what I want? No, no, be brave. No, um, actually, it's a, it's a downstairs job. <laughs> Sorry. He stares incredulously, staggered by my idiocy. Calibrated, you want, then? I cringe and twist with embarrassment. Ah, uh, yes, yes, that's right, uh, calibrated. After one brief yearning glance at his barrel of canes, the proprietor sighs and gets started on the 17 heavy boxes. Pray with me. Lord, some of us suffer genuine distress because we can't fit easily into the roles that are traditional in our society. I know there have been times in my own life when other people's ideas of maleness have made me feel isolated and miserable. When I was younger, I disliked or denied whole areas of myself because they didn't seem to fit in with the stereotypes that were presented to me. Nowadays, I don't have that kind of problem very much, but I know an awful lot of people do. I want to pray for them today, Father. 
want to ask you to lead them gently into learning that whatever they are is valuable and that in the last analysis, the only thing that really matters is what you think of them. And you don't make these simplistic distinctions. Oh, and lead them to good friends, Father. Amen. Aye, we can't be what we're not. Adrian Plass, and some of that sounded a bit like a sketch from the two Ronnies. Meantime, here are the seekers pointing us to what is important, just a closer walk with thee. Gathering 
that's the large Scottish choir, and they're singing Reuben Morgan's This Is Our God. Mm-hmm. 